0: It is so good to see all of you here this morning. What a thrill to be here with you. This is it. This is the last lesson for this semester. We are going to finish up the book of Luke today. We've made it to the end. I am Deb Haygood and I'm so happy to be here this morning to see all of you. I just thank you so much for um, being a part of this semester, for coming faithfully to the very end. And today, as we finish up Luke, we are going to talk about joy, joy. The dictionary defines it as a condition or feeling of high pleasure or delight, happiness, gladness, and it can mean a source or object of pleasure or satisfaction. We say, you are my joy. This morning, I have two great sources of joy One is a brand new baby granddaughter, Harper Elizabeth. She was born Friday. She weighed six pounds, eight ounces, and she is a tiny bundle of joy. My second source of joy is the Word of God and this exciting, powerful, so important, chapter 24, this last chapter of Luke. What a joy it brings me to be here with you this morning for us to look together at God's Word. Now, way back in February, um, before I even knew that baby Harper was coming in November, I was reading um, the book of Luke in preparation for this series. And you may remember that back last January, February, we were studying the books Ezra and Nehemiah. And we talked about that this is the story of God's providence, of God bringing his people out of captivity in Babylon and home to Jerusalem. And how important it was for them to come home to Jerusalem to reassure. Establish their worship and to follow God. And so we see um, the temple being rebuilt. We see Ezra teaching them the word of God. We see Nehemiah organizing the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And the reason it was so important, we said, was because from God's people would come the Messiah, the Redeemer. And as I opened up Luke and was studying Luke, that's what it's all about. There it is. There's the Redeemer. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so, um, three things jumped out at me as I studied, uh, through the book of Luke. The first is it, the first thing, Jesus came as the Redeemer for all mankind. He came for the Jews, but He also came for the Gentiles. Jesus came to earth to be the Savior for one and all. The second thing that, I, that we see in Luke is the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is the son of God, but Luke wants us to know that he is also the perfect son of man. His compassion is great. His concern and his mercy and his love is evident throughout Luke. And we've talked and we've studied a lot about how Jesus um, cared deeply for those uh, disenfranchised, for the disadvantaged, for the social outcasts, the poor, the needy, women, and children. And the third thing that jumped out at me as I studied through Luke was the joy. The joy that Luke presents throughout his gospel of Jesus. And this joy is um, connected to Jesus, His life-giving, redeeming power. And so I want to take a moment, you looked at this in your homework, but I want to take a moment and just kind of review some of those places in the book of Luke where we saw joy. The first week in chapter one, we saw Zechariah and Elizabeth filled with joy at the news that they would be the parents of a baby boy. His name would be John. And he would bring joy to many as he announces the coming Redeemer. The second, and so we see that when John is born, that Zechariah um, lifts up a song of praise and joy to the Lord. And on your verse sheet, I have that, Luke 1, Zechariah sings, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. The second week, we saw Mary singing a song of joy and praise after she learns that she will give birth to the Son of God, Jesus At the birth of Jesus, we see great joy as the angels go um, to the shepherds and give them the good news. And I've also put these kind of familiar and favorite verses on your verse sheet, Luke 2.10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. The Lord, and then we know the skies was filled with a multitude of angels, and they were singing, um, praising God and saying, um, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men." Jesus was going to bring peace to the earth because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and so the shepherds go to see this newborn King, this Prince of Peace, and they leave with joy, glorifying God and praising God. Then we see Mary and Joseph taking the baby Jesus when he's eight days old to the temple. And there, two people recognize him as the Messiah, Simeon and Anna. And they were filled with joy as they praise God and bless God and thank Him. In chapter 5, Shelley taught the story of the paralytic that was brought to Jesus by his friends. And Jesus not only heals the paralytic, but do you remember? He forgives his sins. And so the paralytic and his friends leave glorifying God, but they were not alone. It says, All those watching glorified God. Lynn told us next about the widow in chapter 7, whose um, son Jesus raises from death to life. And once again, all those watching glorified God. More joy. In chapter 15, Amy told us about the lost son. We call him the prodigal son who had come home. In Luke 15, 32, the father says, But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. God rejoices over us when we come to him. And then Vanita talked about the lepers in chapter 17. Jesus healed ten and one came back, praising God. And it says, falling at the feet of Jesus and thanking him. Then in chapter 19, as Jesus triumphantly comes into the city, we see great joy. Great joy among the people as they wave their palm branches and they throw their cloaks down in front of Jesus. And they shout, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Much joy. Joy in the Book of Luke. In the last two weeks, we've seen that joy quickly turn to betrayal and sorrow and uh, grief and confusion, as Jesus is arrested and uh, tried and beaten and crucified. But as I read through those chapters, I thought to myself, um, it's going to end with the resurrection of Jesus. And so there will again be great joy. And thoughts of Easter Sundays came to my mind. So many joyful Easter Sundays that um, I have spent at Christ Chapel. I love coming to church on Easter Sunday. Um, someone says, he is risen, and I shout back, he is risen indeed. My children have grown up in this church, and so um, they will text me on Sunday morning, He is risen. And I text back, He is risen indeed. And some of you, um, probably many of you, have had that same experience. You walk in Easter Sunday, and you look at someone and say, He is risen. And they answer back, He is risen indeed. What joy as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So I dove into chapter 24 expecting this great joy. And were you surprised, like I was, at how the joy came so slowly? It came so slowly, they didn't get it at first. It was hard to grasp the resurrection, that Jesus was alive, that he is risen. And so as I looked at chapter 24, I thought, there are also lessons that we can learn here, um, lessons that we can learn in the hard times, in the difficult times, in those sad times, before the joy comes. And it reminded me of a verse in Psalm 30, verse 5, that says, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Um, the King James says, Joy comes cometh in the morning. So let's look at chapter 24, open up, and we're going to look at um, some of these lessons that we can lear- learn in the hard times. And then we're going to look at the joy of the resurrection of Jesus And uh, in your homework, we really started with chapter 23. We ended last week with the crucifixion and death of Jesus, and this week um, we looked at the burial of Jesus. And so I want to start there. So let's lift your eyes up to verse 50 uh, at the end of chapter 23, and let me begin reading. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. So we see here Joseph of Arimathea. He is an amazing man. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. We've said over the last couple weeks, this was that very elite group of religious leaders, um, the ruling council. It's made up of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and it's led by the high priest. And verse 50 tells us that um, Joseph was a member of this council. He was also a good and upright man. He was a godly man. Um, I think it's the King James Version, calls him a just man. He was just. On your outline, I have just Joseph. And we also know that he didn't consent to this decision um, uh, and action of the Sanhedrin to crucify Jesus. Now, how verbal he was, we're not sure. Probably not very verbal because we saw in John where it says that he was a follower of Jesus, um, but in secret. Now, though, we see great courage As Joseph goes to Pilate. This was still a dangerous thing. It was not going to be popular to be a follower of Jesus. They were still going to try to wipe out any um, of those that had followed Jesus. So it took great courage for him to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. But it's such a good thing because let me tell you what usually happened to those people that died, um, that were crucified and died on crosses. They were taken down and thrown in a mass grave together. So we see Joseph going to Pilate, and then he goes back to the cross and he takes Jesus down and he wraps him in linen and he places him in his own tomb, cut out, and he had to hurry. Because it says here, this was the preparation day. That means it was the Friday before Saturday that is the Sabbath. And this wasn't just any Sabbath. This was the Passover. This was that high holy day of the Jews. Um, their very important holiday, the Passover. And we know um, Paso- that Sabbath begins Friday night at sundown and goes to Saturday night at sundown. And last week we learned that Jesus died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So... Um, Joseph has from 3 in the afternoon until sundown to get all of this done and then get home. So he had to do this quickly. And I have a picture of a tomb. Um, This is what they look like in Israel today. And this is what they would have looked like in the time of Jesus. You see that they are um, either a cave in the limestone hill or they are cut out in the limestone. And then the body is placed inside and the big stone is rolled in front of the tomb. I thought it might be nice for you to see um, a picture of that. And so that's what happens. And um, let's see these next few verses because they're very important that Luke includes... Uh, In his gospel. And it starts in verse 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Now this is important these verses because throughout history there have always been people to try to say the resurrection didn't happen. It didn't. It wasn't true. And one of the things they say is these women, uh, they didn't find Jesus because they didn't go to the right tomb. They went to a tomb and it was empty because it was the wrong tomb. But Luke tells us clearly that the women knew the tomb. They followed Joseph. They saw where Jesus was laid inside the tomb. They weren't confused Sunday morning. They knew exactly which tomb Jesus had been placed. So let's go on and look at... Um, chapter 24, verse 1, and see what the women do here. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. You know, they get up, early Sunday morning. Now they were probably waiting for the very first light to be in the sky so that they could hurry to the tomb with the spices that they've prepared. And this would have been a common uh, tradition to do, a common cultural thing. Bodies weren't embalmed. And so they would wrap them in linen and they would take spices and perfumes and anoint the body with it. And they had been waiting to get there. And so they hurried to the tomb. But when they look inside, the body of Jesus is gone. And so they're wondering. The women are wondering. What has happened? And then two men um, appear, in, appear in clothes that are gleaming. Matthew tells us these are two angels. And we know they're angels. The women would have known they're angels. Because of this dazzling clothes that they have. And I have a picture of that as well. Um, this was painted in the late 1500s by an Italian artist named Annabelle Carracci, And I think this... Uh, It's interesting to look at. It's a beautiful painting. But I I love to think of the women at the tomb. And I don't know that their clothes would have been that uh, brightly colored. And I'm really pretty sure that the angels did not look like this. um, Because he doesn't look too much like a man. But anyway, that's how they did in the classic period. So I just wanted you all to see that and to think about the women going to the tomb. And then it tells us that the two men say to them... Verse 5, in their fright, the women bow down with their faces to the ground and the men say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And the women say, he has risen indeed. Except they don't. Um, Instead, the angel says, it goes on, and um, he says, Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And Matthew tells us they remembered his words, and they were filled with joy. They were filled with joy. Now, you know, it took a little time for them to grasp this news. A little time for them to realize Jesus is alive. And I thought it kind of is a good thing for us to remember when we're talking to unbelievers and they don't understand the resurrection. It doesn't make sense to them. Give them some time. It might take them a little time to grasp it. And what is the lesson for us in these verses? You know, I think in the confusing and difficult times, we need the word of God. We need to remember the Word of God. We need to open up God's Word to be encouraged in those times when we're sad and discouraged. I'm on your verse sheet. I put Isaiah 41.10. I'm not going to read it right now. But... Many years ago, a woman handed me that verse on a slip of paper when I was discouraged. It's a great encouragement verse for me, and maybe you would want to remember it in times of discouragement. But I really um, suggest that as you read through scripture and you find a great encouraging verse, put that reference in the front of your Bible or the back of your Bible, someplace where you can find it quickly in those times when you're discouraged. Because oftentimes it's kind of hard to find those encouraging verses. When we're discouraged. You know we need the word of God to give us insight and understanding. We need the word of God for wisdom. We need the word of God to give us strength. And to increase our uh, faith. In confusing and difficult times. We too need the word of God. So let's go on, verse 9, and see what these women do with their great joy. It says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. The eleven, this is uh the disciples, the apostles. These are, uh, they were twelve, but we know that Judas betrays Jesus and then in his Great remorse, he kills himself. And so there's just 11 left now. And so these women, and it mentions them, go back. And they tell all this to the apostles, that he is risen. And the apostles answer, he is risen indeed. Except they don't either. Verse 11 tells us quite the contrary. They did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to to himself what had happened. Peter, I think, must have heard these words, and there was a flicker of hope in him, because more than anyone else in that room, I think he was filled with such great remorse over the fact that he had denied his Lord three times before he went to the cross. And when he heard this, I think Peter must have thought, Could it be true? Is Jesus alive? And so he gets up and he runs to the tomb. And when he looks in, all he sees are the linen strips. And he is left wondering. But Peter is seeking Jesus. He's seeking Jesus. Can you imagine what it must have been like in that room? The disciples are doubting. There's confusion Heartache, grief. I have a picture of the upper room. This is the last picture. I wanted us to look at that and to think, um, when you go to Jerusalem, they take you to this room and say that the upper room looks something like this. And I thought it would be um, interesting for us to imagine the uh, 11 disciples in there and the other followers of Jesus. Maybe there were 10 more or 20 more. There could have been 30 people. We don't know how many are in this room. And they're all shocked. Some are probably very, very angry at what's happened to Jesus. Some are numb with grief. Others are probably wailing and and sorrowful. They're discouraged. There's confusion. There's fear. Maybe even to the point of panic as they're thinking, what is going to happen next? What's going on here? What should we do? They're exhausted. One thing for sure, no joy is in this room. No one is thinking, Jesus is alive. He's risen and then in rush these women with this story and they're all talking at once and as I picture it, it would almost be a little humorous if it wasn't so sad because I know as women, we've all been to a party or somewhere where there's all the women talking at once. It must have seemed a little confusing to those in the room. It must have seemed like nonsense except for Peter, Peter who goes, he is seeking Jesus And I thought the lesson for us here would be that um, when times are hard and we're confused, keep seeking Jesus. Keep seeking Jesus like Peter did. Now we know from verse 34 that Jesus makes an appearance to Peter before the other disciples. And we don't know exactly when that happens or where or how. But there's a time that Jesus comes to Peter. And Paul confirms this in 1 Corinthians 15.5. And that must have been such a sweet time for Peter. But Peter was seeking Jesus. So let's um, go on and look at these uh, two travelers that we see in Verse 13. You know, these two travelers, we don't know exactly who they are, um, but we do know they were followers of Jesus. They had been in the upper room with the disciples and the other followers of Jesus. Um, I always thought they were two men, but I've read a couple books that said that it could have been a husband and wife um, going leaving this upper room and going home to Emmaus. Emmaus was about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. And as they are walking along, they're talking about what had um, taken place. And Jesus walks up next to them and it says they don't recognize him. Now that really isn't very hard for me to understand. Um, I think there could be lots of reasons for that. You know, Jesus could have been walking along the road with his cloak and maybe he had his hood up and they didn't really see his face very well. One thing we know is they weren't expecting Jesus They thought Jesus was dead. And sometimes when we're not expecting something, we miss it. I was at a funeral recently, a couple months ago, and there was somebody at the funeral that I wasn't expecting to be there. And so I didn't recognize him. And later that evening, someone was saying, Hey, did you see so-and-so? And I said, He was at the funeral? And they said, Yes. And then they told me where he was standing and who he was talking to. And I thought, I saw him. I didn't even recognize him. Sometimes when we're not expecting something, we don't see it. I also thought about all the times that I've been sad or lonely or downcast and Jesus is with me and some mercy comes my way, some word of encouragement is said to me, some word of love and it's the love of Jesus but I don't recognize it. I don't see him because I'm not expecting him. So let's go on and see what happens next. Verse 17, Jesus asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. This tells us that these two travelers were very, very sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? This would be like saying today, Seriously? You don't know what's going on in Jerusalem? Where have you been? And uh, we want to remember that there are many people in Jerusalem right now because this is the Passover. This is the special holiday of the Jews. And many people come to Jerusalem to celebrate. So there were many people in Jerusalem, and they all have heard about Jesus and his crucifixion. In fact, one commentary I read said by this time, all of Israel would have heard about Jesus and his crucifixion. And you know, I thought as they hear this, they are without excuse to believe in Jesus. You know, that's what Luke has been showing us throughout this whole book of Luke. There are two groups of people. There are those that accept Jesus and believe in Jesus and follow him. And there are the others, those that do not believe in Jesus, and they reject him. And I thought this week as I studied through this lesson that we have studied this book of Luke all semester. This book where Luke has been trying to tell us this is the truth about Jesus. You must decide. Now most of us in this room, we have decided we believe in Jesus. We follow him. But there may be some of you in this room today that have not made that decision. It's the most important decision in your life. And it's my prayer that today you will believe in Jesus and begin walking with him. So let's go on and look and see what um, they tell Jesus. He says to them what things have happened. And they say about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had followed Jesus. They had put their hope in him. But now he's dead and they are hopeless. They are without hope as they go back to Emmaus. These two travelers, very hopeless, going to Emmaus. And then this next section just really amazes me. They say, what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Can you imagine that? They're telling Jesus, hey, they told us this story that um, the angel said he is alive. You know, he is risen. But they do not say he is risen indeed. No, they do not believe the women. They do not believe that Jesus is alive. And so they take off and go back to Emmaus. They leave the other followers of Jesus. And Jesus responds to them in verse 25. How foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? You know, Jesus' response here when he says foolish, that really in the Greek is translated you fools. And it means um, you simple ones. Uh, It has the connotation of childish lack of understanding. So this rebuke from Jesus may not have been quite as harsh as it sounds, but it was a rebuke. It was a rebuke. He was saying, you do not understand the situation because you do not know the word of God. You don't know the word of God. And that reminds me of a verse in Matthew 22. 29. It's on your verse sheet. And let me tell you the story before this. Amy told it to us a couple weeks ago. Um, the Sadducees come to Jesus with this silly question. They say, hey, there was a woman and she's married to this man and he dies. And so she marries his brother and he dies and she marries the next brother. This was the Jewish law and tradition. And that brother died and on and on until she's married all these brothers. And then they say, who will she be married to in heaven? And Jesus answers them in Matthew 22:29. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. I love that verse because it reminds me when I'm confused or when I um, don't really understand something or when I'm just plain wrong. It's because I do not know the word of God or the power of God. The scriptures keep us from being in error. And what a great thing that you have been here all semester reading and studying the scriptures. So, verse 27 tells us that um, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You know, they're walking along the seven miles to Emmaus, and Jesus takes that time to explain. All the Old Testament prophecies to them. And when it says Moses, that would have been the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the prophets, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, Zechariah. It's all those prophets. We don't know exactly what passages he was explaining. But maybe Isaiah 53 that you looked at in your homework was one of them. Wouldn't you have loved to have been on that road with them listening to Jesus teach The Old Testament. And then they come to Emmaus and they ask Jesus to stay with them. It's late and so Jesus goes in and they sit down and they break bread together. Maybe Jesus put his hood back. Maybe it was the way he prayed. But as he broke the bread, they recognize it's Jesus. He is alive. He is risen. And they are filled with this joy, and immediately Jesus disappears. Now I want to explain something about the glorified body. Jesus was in the glorified body, and it is flesh and bones. It looks like our bodies. Um, You can eat, you can touch it, but it's also different. He could disappear. He could go through walls. And one day, when Jesus comes back, we too will be given glorified bodies. So they disappear, and they begin to say to each other in verse 32... Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their hearts were burning as they understood the scriptures. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever known that burning excitement inside you when something in scripture clicks and you understand it? Kind of that excitement that um, goes on and what do you do? Lots of times we want to tell somebody about it. And so what do they do? Exactly that. Verse 33, they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and they were saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then these two travelers told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You know, at once, it says, they get up and they go back to Jerusalem. Now, they've just walked seven miles and they get up and immediately, it's night, it's late, but they can't wait. They run back to be with the disciples and other followers of Jesus. And I thought to myself, maybe they shouldn't have left in the first place. Maybe turning away in their hopelessness wasn't a good choice. But I love this. Jesus goes to them anyway. Jesus pursues them anyway. He reveals himself to them so that they would know he is alive. And I think a lesson for me is that in confusing and difficult times, times when I feel hopeless, we need other believers. I need other believers. We need other believers. We need other Christians in those hard times, in those confusing and difficult times. Don't pull away in those times. That's when we need each other most. Hebrews, on your verse sheet, um, 1025 says this very thing. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That day... When Jesus comes back, that time before, when it's difficult, we need each other. We need each other to encourage each other. So let's um, go on and uh, look at this next section. And let me say that on your outline, it has uh, disciples... Doubts are dispelled. Okay, you poetry majors, you've seen that I have gotten carried away with the alliteration. That's where you use a lot of words beginning with the same letter. I've been doing that. um, But this sounds a little wordy, so just cross that out and put they believe They believe because now we're going to see the rest of the disciples and the followers of Jesus believe that he is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So let's look at verse 36 and see all the ways that Jesus dispels their doubts. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So he appears to them and he reassures them. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. You know, we would have been saying, I would have been saying, it's me. It's me. But Jesus is using very good English here. And so he says, it's I, myself. Um, you know, it's Jesus. And then it says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. You know, I I think this means here they're saying this is too good to be true. It's too good to be true that Jesus is alive. And so then he says, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Can you imagine what's going on in this room? Now they're just so excited. They're so emotional. They don't know what to think. And I love it. Jesus kind of just takes that emotion down a notch. Because he says, hey, anything to eat? And they bring him some fish, and he begins to eat it. You know, as women, we know there's nothing like eating that is more down to earth. Nothing that kind of calms down. You know, something's going on, and we're getting out the food. And I just love that, that Jesus said that. Hey, something to eat. And you can kind of see them calming down as they get that fish and bring it to Jesus. And he eats it. So um, they show him that he shows the disciples and the followers that he could eat. And then in verse 44, he teaches them. He says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I love this. Jesus teaches them. And when he says the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that is a way to describe the whole Old Testament Jesus is saying that the Old Testament, the Old Testament, it's about me, guys. I am in the Old Testament. Jesus is in every book in the Old Testament. Jesus is the thread that runs through the whole Bible connecting it. God the Father promised a Savior back in Genesis 3, and the one who would triumph over Satan the one in uh, which Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel say is going to bring in the new covenant, that everlasting covenant between God and the believers in Jesus, did you know that Jesus is throughout the Old Testament? You know, I was a young married gal when I first realized that, that the Bible, all the books in the Bible, Old and New Testament was just one big story. It's a story of God's love for you and me, for all mankind, and how everything points to Jesus coming to save us, to redeem us, so that we might have a relationship with the Lord, an eternal relationship with God. Now I had grown up in church, I knew many um, Old Testament stories, I had read them. As some of you may know, um, I've told this story, I used to sit in church and instead of listening to the sermon, I'd be reading about David and Daniel and Isaac and Rebecca. I knew those Old Testament stories, but it wasn't until I realized how it all fits together that I saw Jesus in every book. Of the Old and New Testament. And I was filled with that burning excitement. And I wanted to tell others. And I still do. I love to um, show how the New Testament is foretold in the Old Testament. And how the Old Testament points to Jesus. But how much more exciting for them to hear these words from Jesus himself. For Jesus to teach them this truth from the Old Testament. All the different passages that he was fulfilling. As he shows them, he is throughout the Old Testament. And it says it became clear to them. He opened their minds so they would understand. What excitement must have been burning within their hearts. And then in verse 46, he says, This is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus says to them, This is the truth, and you are witnesses of my death and resurrection. You must tell others. And you know, because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day, we can tell others that good news of repentance and forgiveness of sins. So Jesus commissions them. And this is why Jesus reveals himself to them. He loves them and he wants them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is alive. He has conquered death. He is victorious over Satan. From the beginning of this book of Luke, um, with Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness, we have seen a battle raging between Jesus and Satan. That's why we've seen so much demonic activity while Jesus was on earth. But with the resurrection, Jesus has won the victory. He wants the disciples to know and understand all this because they would be the ones who would go out beginning in Jerusalem and tell the world the good news that Jesus saves. This news that would change the world forever. This news that gives us hope and fills us with joy. But what else do these frightened, um, doubtful believers need? To have the courage and the power to tell this truth and to even die for this truth. Jesus says in verse 49, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He is going to send them the Holy Spirit. This is what was going to make the difference. And he says it uh, even more clearly. Jesus says this in John fourteen twenty six. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. <clears throat> in confusing and difficult times, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Today, we need Jesus. And we have Jesus because it's Jesus who gives us the peace in those difficult and chaotic times. It's Jesus who gives us strength when we are weak. Paul tells us both of these things. Philippians 4-7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ." Jesus gives us peace. In 2 Corinthians twelve nine, Paul says, This is what Jesus said to me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And we know that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. We have Jesus. He says in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is the very same way that unbelievers see Jesus alive today. They see Jesus living in us. When we're in the midst of a chaotic, hard time and we have peace, they see Jesus living in us. When we are weak and they know this is something we cannot do and yet we have the strength to go through it, they see Jesus living in us. When we love the unlovely, the unbelievers in the world see Jesus living in us. When we stay in a difficult marriage or work on a hard marriage, the unbelievers see Jesus living in us. This is how the world sees a living Jesus. He's in us. So let's finish up here and look at this very last section. And now we're finally going to see great joy. The book of Luke is going to end with this great joy. And let me say here, as before we read uh, verse 50, 40 days have now passed. Probably from about verse 45 to now, 40 days have passed. And Jesus has been with the disciples on and off for these 40 days. And different things take place. You can read some of that in the other Gospels. Um, But now it's time for Jesus to ascend into heaven. And so verse 50 tells us, when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Finally, joy. Jesus blesses them and they worship with joy and they praise God. And do you see how worship and joy go together? You know, I thought about that a long time this week. With worship comes joy. And joy leads us Moves us to worship. And with the resurrection of Jesus, we have that joy today. The resurrection of Jesus is so important. It's the resurrection of Jesus that gives us hope. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundational truth of Christianity. Uh, That is why Christ Chapel uses the empty tomb, it's a symbol of resurrection, as their logo. It's why on the stained glass you see the empty tomb at the bottom of the stained glass. It represents resurrection. The resurrection is so important. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. But verse 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is true, and it is the central fact of Christian history today. It is the central belief that unites and inspires all true Christians. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is that central doctrine, that pivotal point of Christianity. And it's the major fact that we use in defense of all Christian teachings. Christianity has a living Redeemer who was raised from the dead. One theologian said, because Christ was raised from the dead, Christians know that the kingdom of heaven has broken into earth's history. There is redemption. God's mighty power is at work destroying sin, creating new, redeemed lives, and preparing believers for Jesus' second coming. Because of the resurrection, we know that death has been conquered and that one day we too will be raised from the dead to live forever with Jesus. The resurrection gives authority to the church's witness in the world. The resurrection gives meaning to the Lord's Supper. The resurrection assures us that Jesus Christ is alive and ruling his kingdom. And because the resurrection of Jesus is true, then we know that the second coming of Jesus is true. Jesus is coming back. The resurrection of Jesus turns our wailing into dancing He removes our sackcloth and he clothes us with joy. The resurrection of Jesus brings us joy. And because the resurrection of Jesus is true, I can say this morning, he is risen. And you all can say all together, he is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a loving God. You are so good to us. Father, how we thank you for our salvation, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Father, it's because he died on the cross and he rose again on the third day that we can come to you and that I can pray to you this morning. Father, I ask that you would bless these women, that you would take us safely um, through the holiday season, and that you would bring us back together in January. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen.